Okay, so let's get started. In your, in your bulletin, you have actual sermon notes. Well, notes are of what you take, but there's actually some form of engagement in this sermon today. You can actually write down, fill in the blanks. I'll lead you through that. It's not going to be on PowerPoint. So you will have to really key in and power in in terms of what God is saying this morning. In terms, because there's there are some there are four questions on here that you can only answer. I can't. All right. So make sure you want to use that as we go along. And on the back side are some additional scriptures if you want to use for your devotional time this next week. If you sort of you just get it in terms of what it means to press on in Christ, and you want to just continue that momentum. Here are some scriptures that you can just study and read and meditate on, pray about, that sort of thing. So it's sort of like multi-use notes. All right. Um, Let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Lord, just thank you for today and your incredible word. It is truth. Not that we hope it's true, but we, we know it's true, so we just, we believe it. It is your word. And Holy Spirit, you're more familiar with the word than we are. I pray that we just put this in our minds and our hearts, that there would be some sort of transforming thing that happens within us, that we would be able to view life differently and act differently and, and be free as what Christ has promised us, that, that the truth would certainly set us free. Or just... just just use the sermon. It's, it's less of me, more of you. May the Holy Spirit again just use the words to, to challenge us, to convict us, to tr- transform something in our lives today. Help us to find application. Thank you for being our Savior and our Lord and our King, for being the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, please. We're going to read the scriptures. If you, who does not have a Bible? Raise your hand. There's some Bibles in the back. Maybe Hanny or somebody can get you a Bible. I w- <laughs> okay. We'll get, you, we'll get you a Bible. That's really good. That's cool. You know, in the old days, you used to just have one translation you could read, and everybody just said, hey, we'll just follow along, and that's great and wonderful. But now, I don't know, there's probably, I'm going to guess, five or six different translations out here. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It's hard for me to get off this translation. I grew up with it. It's just me. So the wording's going to be a little different, maybe if you've got an NIV or English Standard version, whatever. So, chapter 3, Philippians, verses 1 through 15. It's a little lengthy. But uh, we'll, get, we'll get through it. It's a very exciting passage. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, 
as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value, maybe your translation says worth, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If you've got a King James, it will say dung. In the, in, in the English uh, version, it says garbage for rubbish. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but in that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward of what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. You may be seated. May God's blessing come from his word today. So first off, I'm going to get you very engaged on that handout, which <laughs> just, yeah, I just had it. I guess it disappeared. Okay, on that handout, <laughs> wow, what service you have fulfilled Philippians 2 and being a servant of Christ. Thank you. I don't know what I, what I do with this, this stuff. Anyways, it's a long story. Um, so right off, where it says, letter overview, letter overview, write down, it says a big thank you. And then right underneath that, you're going to put the word Christ is our life, example, our goal, and our sufficiency. And just for fun, if you want an acronym, you can just write the word legs. Kind of like that. Because that is what the book of Philippians is all about. Christ is our life, is our example, is our goal, and is our sufficiency. And if you have any doubts today, if you're, if you're just, if you're sinking in quicksand, slow, but just sinking, or if you're stalled in your life because of something that has happened from you in the past, or you're facing a huge barrier or some sort of obstacle, I want you to be encouraged because God does not abandon his people. He wants you to move forward in your life off the couch of despondency and complacency and find his joy in all things to press on towards the goal of eternal joy. The book of Philippians was one of Paul's most intimate 
most conversational letters. Its, its content was rather weighty. It's rather short. There's only four, four chapters. And it exposes Paul's warm and fond, fond heart for being thankful and being joyful, seeing a church bubbling up with faith and showing love in deed, and, and not only word, but in deeds and in their generosity. It shows how important relationships are to Paul and to that church because the kingdom of God is all about him and us. There's nothing else. It's about relationships. The letter was written in 62 AD while Paul was in house arrest in prison. And this is a church, Philippi was a church that he planted 10 or 11 years earlier. And you can read about this in his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. And he comes again on, the, on his third missionary journey to preach. It was the first European church to be established in a Roman colony, a military outpost. And it was here that Paul first experienced beating by rods, hard sticks. Him and Silas were beat and put into prison. I want you to imagine this big thank you note that's being handed over to the church. And Paul says, thank you for your generosity, for sending me an incredible gift to support me in my ministry. And I want to remind you, church, who you are in Christ and what that means in the kingdom of God. If there's any sort of key verse in the book of Philippians, it's Philippians 1.21. If you would just turn to that, you may want to highlight it. You may want to just mark it. I don't know how. It's okay to write in your Bibles. And, and this is such a simple verse, but this basically sets the pace for the whole book in terms of Paul's perspective. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, a little background about this particular, this particular verse. Paul was very, uh, there's a lot of disconflict in his life because he felt that he needed to be here in the flesh, encouraging and loving the church, preaching the gospel. That was a good thing. But if I were to die, Paul says, and be with Christ, that's a great outcome. So you could see the sort of friction as you read through the book of Philippians that he's going, I, I, I need to be here ministering, but if I were to die and, 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 and raise and be with Christ, that, that's a great thing. That's a gain thing. You know, our, our, our culture today is obsessed with me and I. Think about this. We are. It's all about us not about anybody else. If there was some sort of crazy, absolutely nutty, weird world translation of this verse, people outside this church would read it, to live is me and to die is end. That's how people view life today. There is no hope. So Paul turns the world upside down and says Christ is the one who gives us meaning. It's promising and it's eternal. To live is not to, to go out and make millions of dollars and hoard it and possess it. That doesn't give meaning to life. To live doesn't mean that I dwell in the houses, in the rooms 
of despair and bitterness and anger and hang, hang on to fear, that doesn't get us anywhere either. This, this whole thing about living in this world today can be very, very challenging to us as Christians. But we are to press on. And all these things that, that, that can attach us emotionally, as we can all understand, we've all been there, we've all struggled, we all have our issues, we know that Christ is the one that gives us meaning. To live is Him, Paul is saying, God Almighty living through us that we would redeem the peace of the world that God has given us to Christ. Your world that God has given you, your little piece of the earth that God wants you to redeem. You have your homes, you have your families, you have your spouses, you have what we do here in the church. We're on committees and we're helping see this, fulfill this vision of, of growth in this, in this church body. You have your work. You've got your, how do I redeem my workplace? Oh my goodness, oh, I, I've got that boss I don't really care for. Okay, I need to really think through this and pray through this, how I can, I can be this great example of Christ to him. Are those workmates that you just can't stand? We've all been there. But you're here to redeem the world for Christ. And not to mention your neighborhood. You've got the grumpy old neighbor across the street that doesn't say hi. Go take out his trash. Go wash his windows. Go paint his house. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, you are here to redeem it. So to live is Christ here and now, and to die is gain. So here we are in chapter 3. And we have four, I call four lap markers, four principles that are found in these verses. The first one that you will write down is the word rejoice in the Lord, verse 1. Paul starts chapter 3 by saying rejoice. The word delight, the word uh, joy, boast, being glad occurs 16 times in this book. There's something behind what he's saying in terms of rejoicing in the Lord, being glad in the Lord in terms of what he's doing in your life. And Paul states in verse 1, I'll repeat it again and again and again because I love saying it. And I love seeing it work in the church. Why? In this particular, in particular context, there's a gentleman by the name of Eaphroditus who was, sent, who was sent with a gift from Philippi to deliver to Paul to support his ministry. He almost died in the journey. Paul's also grateful for Timothy, who's his incredible helper. But I think most of all, he has seen Christ working mightily, seen clearly working in this church. And our life, as Paul says, becomes very complete in him. I don't know how many of you like to do puzzles. I don't. I probably did as a kid, the four-piece kind. But I know Rachel and Dave, they love puzzles. And they love to spread everything out, everything out on the table, a thousand-piece puzzle. Ugh. And it's all spread out, and they start working from the outside in. 
right? Is that the way you do puzzles? That's the, I guess, find the borders. Dave tells me very clearly. That's the, what you're supposed to do. Look at the box. See how it's framed up. It's like, okay, whatever. But here's the deal. When that puzzle sits on the table, it's not complete until the last piece is put in. I mean, you can look at this puzzle and go, it's not complete. We're missing a piece. Where's the piece? We're all looking on the floor trying to find the piece. Where is it? It's in my pocket, whatever. It's not complete. And typically that piece is right in the center of the puzzle. You know, isn't that what Christ does in our lives? Think about it. Your life's like scattered like a thousand pieces. And, it, and you start putting it back together. And life for you and for us and for Paul was not complete until Christ fit right there in that, you know, strange fit, whatever. It's a beautiful piece. It fulfills the puzzle. That's what Christ does in our lives. He completes our life. In Christ, he has made the winners losers. He has made the downcast upright. He has made those who can't score, score. Now think about this. Every morning when you wake up, you score the point that wins over the enemy, the devil, because Christ is in you. I want you to think about that very seriously. It's no more the World Cup. It's the Heavenly Cup. You have won because Christ is in you. And you can, you can yell with joy and rejoice in this because you are a winner in Him. All the losers win in Him. If we could just express ourselves to Him. It doesn't need any special words. It comes from the heart. If we could just express our delight and our joy and rejoice in Him every day about the things that He provides us every day, think how your life would be transformed. In the morning when you wake, rejoice. When you go to the gym, rejoice. When you're at work having lunch with your workmates, you're rejoicing. When you come home to have dinner with your family and you're sitting around the dinner table, you're rejoicing. What has God done in my life today? Let me share that with you at the dinner table. And when you lay your head down at night, you can rejoice as well. How can one be downcast? When we know that God loves us, and we know that He's faithful, and we know that He cares. You'll find that in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. I've been at a place where I haven't been able to rejoice. I can, I can connect with a lot of you in terms of the things that we work through in life. And by the way, this message, as good as it sounds, it is hard to live out. But Christ helps us press on. Don't let the cloud of uncertainty or distress or fear blind you. When you rejoice, you are on the path of pressing on. And 1 John 4, 4, it says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And there's a question there right on the outline. How can you rejoice in the Lord each day? The first thing that comes to your mind, just write it down. God's just revealing something to you. What is what is Something that I can do to rejoice in the Lord each day. Just write it down. Don't think about it. Just write it down. Okay. Principle number two. If you want to write, recognize barriers. 
verses 2 and 3. So we have rejoice in the Lord, recognize barriers. Paul calls out in these verses the enemy, dogs, evil workers, mutilation, mutilators of the flesh. These evil workers who have tried to pour on more stuff, more burdens that would impact, negatively impact your freedom in Christ. In that day, groups of Jewish people, let's say old school, tried to convince the, the Christians of that day that circumcision was needed before you became a Christian. It was a barrier to move forward. The Jewish law became a stumbling block. Hey, let's just pile on the stuff. You've got to do all these things before you actually believe. Circumcision, the way you dress, the way you walk, the way you work. We'll keep stats too, by the way, because we'll keep, we'll keep our eyes on you and make sure you're doing all the right things. Performance-based religion. Not, not for us as Christians. There's freedom in grace and there's freedom in love. Paul instructs that our flesh takes a back seat. There's no glory in the flesh. The spirit comes first. And trying to work for God's acceptance is a one way, it's a, it's a wrong way street. It's a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. If you're working, I God, oh man, I just, I know what I'm doing is good today. That's all cool. And I know you're going to accept me more when I'm finished today because I'll have more good stuff and bad stuff. I don't know where that, that's, that's wrong teaching. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's freedom to move around in the cabin. That gets you nowhere. Christians are the new circumcision. This is what Paul is saying. We are the new circumcision because God has stripped off the layers of the heavy lifting in his son, Jesus. So in Christ, it's no longer about doing, it's done. That's good news. That's freedom. I love that message. So question number two, what is getting in your way to press on? What barriers, what obstacles, what sin is getting in your way to living out your faith? And maybe you're frozen, just you can't move because of some sort of past issue or sin. In Philippians 2.21, it says, quit seeking after your own interests, your own self-centered interest. Get your mind and your heart on Christ and focus on Him. So just write on your paper what's getting in the way. What old teaching, what, what, what's something you heard long ago or something on the TV set, set on, on some crazy channel that it, it, I just got all sorts of crazy questions and doubts and whatever. No. What is it? What's getting it in the way? God's word, his truth will never come back empty. Okay. Third lap. Third principle, number three, remember your identity in Christ. Write down the word remember. So rejoice in the Lord, recognize your barriers, remember your identity in Christ. The Apostle Paul pours out his 
heart in his life history in this particular chapter. If anyone should trust in the flesh, it would be me, Paul. I mean, look at my genealogy. Look at my inheritance. Look at my training. Look at all the good stuff. I was like the network rabbi star. I was it. I was, I was it. I was blameless. You couldn't find anything wrong with me. I followed the law to the T. I was a Pharisee. I did no wrong. I had it all packaged together. It was cool. And I was proud. And I was arrogant. I even put Christians in the prison to see them die. This is the kind of guy that's writing this letter today. All packaged up. Not any room for air. It was... It was like, in verse 4, he says, I far more, there's no faults. I dare you to find just one about me. You can't. And then in verses 7 and 8, Paul lays down the gauntlet in his life. He says, my life doesn't exist anymore. All those things that I trusted in are now a loss. Things, these things were getting in the way, and now they are long past. My salvation, my life, my example, my sufficiency, my goal is Christ. And you know something, church, he says, I did lose everything. I, left, I, left, I lost everything, all my physical stuff, and now it's rubbish. It's garbage. It's on the manure pile. You've got the King James Version. I mean, do you need any more descriptors as to what his life was and now is? I want you to underline the word loss in seven in verses seven and eight. And in the Greek, you'll see that it means are closely aligned to a loss of ship and cargo. And in those days, losing a ship and today as well, losing a ship and cargo was a bad thing. It was a horrible thing. Your ship's out at sea. For some reason, it sinks. It goes to the bottom of the sea. It, it's over. It's, it's a loss. So Paul says, the things which he formerly valued are at a loss. My life, my ship is gone because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my Lord. The word value comes from the Greek meaning excellency, and some say majesty. I love the way the Aramaic Bible in English says this verse. I'm going to read it to you. Listen carefully. I also consider all these things a loss for the majesty of the knowledge of Yeshua, the Messiah, my Lord. Him for whose sake I have lost everything. And I consider it all as a dung heap that I may gain the Messiah. It is the surpassing enriched thing in life. It is our life. It is Christ. Now everyone here, if my mom was here, she would understand this, loves a good value. I am in a line of work as well as Mike that places values on homes. Appraisal is my profession. I look 
examine, evaluate, analyze what a property would be worth. What property is more excellent than another? Here it is. The property's real worth is what someone who is knowledgeable, willing, and able to pay for it. I want you to think about the spiritual connection here. Because in faith, in love, Christ paid the supreme price. He paid the ultimate price. He was God in the flesh who was the most knowledgeable. He was the most willing. He was the most able who went to the cross, took all of our sins and the penalty for all those sins that that we just accumulate and, and do and past, present, future, took it all, took it all on the cross and forgave us. Three days, he was buried and then he rose again. I ask you, what could be more valued than that sacrifice and the resurrection that gives us hope? and ask each one of you, where are you putting your value in your life? What is the cargo that you're holding on to? Is it your fame? Is it trophies that are accumulating in the attic? Is it status? Is it ego? What is it that's getting in the way? Or maybe you're holding on to the past and you know something? You hate it. You hate it. But you love it because it's 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 a lie that you've begun to believe that begins to define who you are. That is a lie. Let it go. Sink the ship and realize that your identity is in Christ. Nothing else. The question is, for the third principle there, what lies have you believed and accepted that label you with a mistaken identity? A false sense of identity. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says, we are crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, I, me who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That is an incredible verse. Okay, number four. four we're, we're, we're heading down the last lap here. Here we go. I want you to to write down, realize your future. Forget the past. Realize your future. It takes some work. Verses 9 through 15. Paul says, you have a right standing before God with your faith. Not by any work that you've done on your part, except believe. There's no secret handshake. There's no secret inheritance. There's no bloodline through marriage. And trying to move forward with any sort of weight of sin on your back is very, very difficult, especially if you're a runner. In Christ, you are now declared righteous with God. You are partakers of grace, not shame. You are citizens of heaven, not earth. You are filled with the fruit of righteousness. What amazing promises found in this book. Faith in Christ brings us near to Him. 
His sacrifice, His resurrection, your faith, it's a fairly simple but meaningful message. And this value of knowing Christ surpasses everything in your life. It's like the parable that Jesus told us in Matthew, the two parables about the man who finds the treasure in the field and sells everything that he has to possess this treasure. Or the person that's, that, that has found is in search of, the, of the, the pearl, the incredible pearl, and sells all that he has to possess it. What happens is life changes. You start, you start doing things differently, start think, seeing things differently. You begin to take a risk for others. You begin to love others as you've never loved them before. And you're willing to stand up for God's standards. Henry and Richard Blackaby wrote a book called God in the Marketplace. Highly recommend if you want to be used by God in your workplace. If you believe that the only spiritual work is done in this church body, you're wrong. It's important work. Very important work. But it's very important for you to go out and minister to the people that are outside this church in your workplace. I'm going to read just a section here. It says, People often misinterpret Romans 8.28. Consider the Christian businesswoman who boldly took a moral stand and refused to compromise her integrity to make a large sale. She was subsequently fired for not being a team player. Several of her Christian friends quoted Romans 8.28 to her and assured her with this promise. We know the verse, right? We know God works all things work together for good. He probably allowed you to be unjustly fired because he has a better job for you around the corner. And when you get that lucrative new position, you'll be glad all this happened. These sincere, misguided words often miss the point. Does the scripture say we will ultimately end up enjoying comfort, respect, and prosperity when God does his work in our lives? Perhaps yes. Perhaps no. Actually, the greatest good God can do for us is to make us like his son. God's primary concern for us is not our position on the corporate ladder, our retirement benefits, or for our comfort. His ultimate goal for us is Christ-likeness. And he will allow whatever is necessary into our lives so we become like Jesus. Paul says it's here and it's now. Christ knows Paul. Paul knows Christ. And Paul says, I want to know him even more. I want to know his resurrection power and that I will rise with him someday. I want to share in his sufferings that I'm willing to suffer in his name. And believe it, here it is, and being conformed to his death to actually die in his name. When one comes to know Christ, all is put to loss all is put to death, even willing to die for our Lord. In verses 12 and 14, Paul states that pressing on, I want to press on to lay hold of what Christ is laying hold of. The word press means to pursue from a foot race metaphor that I pursue the beginning of my life in the resurrection. That's what he's saying here in 12, 14. Paul is saying that he's not achieved spiritual perfection until 
he truly fulfills his purpose in Christ, his calling, willing to die for his causes and be actually raised with him. But one thing I do, in verse 13, one thing I do, I let the past go, I focus on the future, on the blessings of the future that God has for me, the prize, my calling in Christ. Wow. Man, that is a, that's a powerful attitude. That is a, that is a powerful perspective of what happens when Christ comes into our lives and starts rearranging the furniture. The winner of the Greek games often received a wreath and a cash and, and, and a cash prize to win to win the race. The prize that Paul talks about is the award of eternal glory with Christ. In the NIV, it says heavenward. In the New American Standard, it says the upward call of God. In the Phillips paraphrase, it states that my high calling by God. Paul's ultimate aspirations are not found in this life, but found in heaven, because that is where Christ is seated. In verse 15, he says, Have the same attitude of not being complacent, but press on to experience a higher calling. So do we just kind of wait around and just wait for the resurrection? Just kind of just wait? No? What does Paul say? To live is Christ. We have important spiritual work to do. We have our ministries. We have our families. We have a generosity that we can show. We, we can show the love of Christ. Remember, to live as Christ, to, to redeem the peace of the world that God has given us. Our sphere of influence to share Christ. There's a, we, we, we're on a, a street called, a, off a street called Krona, and it's, it's a hill. It's a, it's a pretty good hill. You go down the hill, you go up the hill. It's about a mile. And I have uh, worked very hard to try to run this hill. It's pretty easy going down. Going up, there's, I can't tell you, years and years, I could not make it up without stopping. And as you're at the bottom of the hill and you look up on the street, you see this hill, this mountain. And on a conquered map, it actually says Mount Zion. I mean, you figure it's like God's mountain in the Old Testament. It's like right there. So I start up the street and, and I'm going, okay, so what does all this, this mean? What is Paul saying in verse 14? He's saying, press on. Press on towards the goal. Keep your eyes fixed on the finish to win, to finish your calling, to do what you're called to do. You know, a serious runner, which I am not, by no means. Don't you think that I'm out there running marathons? I am not. But to run this hill, that's, that's an exciting thing for me. And the prize is getting to the top and looking down at this sort of amazing valley view. The prize, as, as described in the Wycliffe Bible Commentary, says it is the response 
wholeheartedly to the upward call in Christ Jesus. That I'm moving away from self, that I'm growing spiritually, the spiritual attainment, and I see the goal, the prize. When I reach the top of the hill, I've got a great view of the surrounding valley. And there's three, I don't know if there's three, but there's, there's a couple roads. As I look across the valley, there's a hill with a couple roads that, that sort of form this apex in the hill. And I think, and I say, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's just the way I do things, three roads, whatever. Thank you for letting me make it to finish this. It wasn't a race, but to just to finish this jog to the top of the hill. And as I just sit there on the fence post, just hearing the birds and seeing the clouds come over, and it's just some beautiful, incredible mornings. I've got an amazing view. And you know, for us, we'll have the same amazing view in heaven. That's awesome. And for now, why we're running and working in our, in, in our ministries with joy and freedom, we do have some serious work to do. The last question on, on point number four says, what are the spiritual blessings that come from pressing on? I'll give you a couple. We're going to establish godly priorities in our lives. And I would really hope that if you're establishing godly priorities, you are sharing that with your family. That's a good thing. We're thinking of kingdom work. We're thinking of growing in Christ-likeness. We're thinking of, we're just, you know, showing fruit of the Spirit. And we're framing up hope. Now and for the prize. So I'm going to say, church, me, you, press on. Don't quit. Rejoice in the Lord. Recognize your barriers. Remember who you are in Christ and realize your future. Press on. And you're going to find the prize, the upward call of Christ, and there'll be joy in the journey. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the message, for pressing on. For loving us, inspiring us, motivating us, knowing that Christ is the center of our lives. And it's, it's life-changing. All the stuff I pray, Lord, that we've been accumulating, it's been weighing us down. We've been dragging it along. We can't get through the, even the front door because it gets so heavy. It's a loss. Help us see the surpassing value of you in our lives. Help us see that you are the one, Jesus, who calls us, come all who need rest. And I will teach you in my humility. You will find rest in me to continue to press on.
into the home stretch. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.